You know what time it is. You know what time it is. You know, you know what, what time, time it is. is. You know what time it is. It's time for the Dodcast. Dennis the Menace. That's me! Y'all ready for this? For decades now, hopeful souls have fled to America in search of their dream. For the vast majority, their shadowing cities chewed them up and spat them right back out. For others, it was kind. But this kindness only came about off the back of sheer hard work and dedication. Patrick Kirby was a fresh 22-year-old kid when he decided to leave for America. Taking a graduate visa, he described himself as green behind the ears when first encountering downtown NYC. With no contacts, jawed prospects, and barely a roof under his head, he was able to secure a job in the smallest startup known as Glassview. The year is 2018, and Glassview is today seen as the world's largest independent video distribution platform. Holding accounts for Ralph Lauren, Colgate, LG and Ikea, they work with Fortune 500 companies. Having revolutionised the way video is utilised online, Patrick Day is 25, now sits as Chief Operating Officer for one of the fastest growing companies on the Upper East Side. In this episode, we talk about his own winning formula, what it takes to make it in America, why failure is so vitally important, and what's on his bountiful horizon. We learn why RTE and the Irish Times were keen to feature him, where he learned the tools of the trade, and how far an Irish charm can get you in commerce. This is the modern day American dream with Patrick Kirby. Let's get this party started. We're back. We're back. It's me. It's me. Mr. Dennis O'Dwyer, it's the Dodcast. We're very, very kindly joined today by Mr. Patrick Kirby. Patrick, how are you? Very well, Dennis. How are you keeping yourself? I'm absolutely flying it. As I said just before we went online, I was, I was a little giddy school child today. I was kind of trying to do a bit of workout in the gym and I was like, I'm excited to talk to this guy. I'm very excited to talk to you as well. Um... Great to hear that you're in the gym. Very important for your mental health and, and physical health, obviously. Mr. Mr. Kirby, we're going to go straight into it. I mean, this is, as I said, I'm excited about this. Normally at the start of the show, what we do, we ask the gentleman or the lady who are in front of us just to describe themselves in their own words. Can you do that for me, please? Yeah, absolutely, Dennis. So um, my name is Patrick Kirby. I hail from a small village between the towns of Bantry and Skibbereen in West Cork in the wonderful Republic of Ireland. Um, we, I'm sure you've got a lot of international listeners as well. I think it's important to point that out, Dennis. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, what am I? I am enthusiastic. I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an idealist in many terms, but I'm also a realist as well. I've got a lot of imagination and um, hopefully have a kind of a character that's endearing to people and that, you know, approachable. I think being approachable is one of the, is a great quality in, in someone. And uh, hopefully, I'm, hopefully I'm a person that kind of uh, exhibits that on a daily level. So... Um, that's kind of what I'm about, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's curious, guys. Like, I mean, this guy, he's... Are you living in Upper East Side at the moment, or where is it? Yeah, so I live in the Upper East Side. Kind of, we actually call it the Upper Upper East Side because it's on the cusp of Spanish... <laughs> it's on the cusp of Spanish Harlem as well. So, um, yeah, it's a nice area here. And my office actually is only about... It's only about 30 blocks away, so that's about two miles. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice location, and I'm kind of in between all the airports and stuff, so... I can kind of get out of town fast and I can get right into town as well. So it's, it's a great location, Dennis. Now with this gentleman, we only connected literally on Thursday and some very kind words over and back. 
really, as I said, looking forward to this episode. This, uh, this guy has uh, an interesting story to tell. A man who started from the west of Cork, doing silage and bale, and still doing so, and now finds himself, as I said, in the upper, upper east side. So, Patrick, yeah. what we do at the start of the show, we do a game called Association. So I'm just going to say a word, phrase, or a sentence, and first thing comes to your head. This is just to get you know, those listeners who don't know the Patrick Kirby that I now know, and that maybe others know, maybe ladies know, uh, just a bit of a kind of a taste, a little bit of a, a tink of, uh, of who you are, okay? So we'll go straight into it. Video. The most powerful form of storytelling. Silage. Um... Long summer days, um, very positive connotations, and a hell of a lot of uh, machinery. Web Summit. I went there in 2014, I believe, and it was one of the most inspiring conferences I ever went to. And Paddy Cosgrove is actually, I would say, um, a very, very inspiring millennial. Very good. Fracking, in terms of oil. Um, let's try and start fracking in West Cork if we can. The economy needs a bit of a boost, so let, 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 <laughs> there you go. let's get it going. Education? Uh, the basis for everything. Didn't Mandela say that education is the most powerful tool? And that's something I subscribe to in every form. I mean, if you can... I think an education is the foundation for life, and it starts at home. Gary and Paula Donovan. Gary and Paula Donovan are two of the most, I would say, inspiring young men on the island of Ireland. Um, they've got a nature which I think all of us can can breed a lot of life out of. They're so authentic. Um, in a world today where everything is politically correct and, and scripted, these guys, these guys just go out and literally, uh, I would say, uh, empty their brains with whatever thoughts are in there. And I, I, think that's, I think that's refreshing, don't you, Dennis? Absolutely. All-time favourite book, Patrick? My all-time favourite book. That's a really hard question, actually. Um, I read First one that last... pops to head. Yeah, I read a book last year called The Power of the Extraordinary Mind. I can't remember who the author was, but there was one comment in it, and it was basically saying that if you tie your happiness uh, basically to the attainment of future goals, you'll never be happy. Yeah. And that was, a very, that was a very pertinent statement for me. Mm. And it's actually something now that I kind of, uh, you know, it kind of continually reinvigorates me. We must be happy. You know, we must love the journey. Um, it's not all about the destination and being kind of happy in the now and being present with what you're doing. I think is very important. So that's that's one in a nutshell why that book was a special one to me. Very well said. Girlfriends. Um, girlfriends. I'm single. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Boyfriends. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's. I have um, you know some very I suppose good uh, male friends in my life. <laughs> Um, that, that's how I that's how I put it there. But uh, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a lot of good girlfriends and boyfriends out there. Singing Boyfriend, or dancing, Patrick? Singing or dancing? I would say singing. I mean, I've done a lot of singing in the mirror. I've done a lot of singing in front of friends. Uh, they're probably really sick of me. And um, you know, all my uh, people that I uh, equate with on Snapchat and stuff have probably heard a couple of renditions of you know. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we have, we have something here that we'll just let the listeners maybe, maybe listen to one second. I was going to hold this kind of for later in the show, but I think it's an important time to play now. Just take, as I said, association is a, an opportunity for, to get a taste of, of, of the Patrick Kirby that's, that uh, stands before me. So let's uh, have a little listen here. Um, one direction. Do you know what? Do you know what? People will always laugh at me, right? 
But One Direction are, like I look at someone like Niall Horn. He grew up in Mullingar. Mullingar's a town, as we know, has created some legends like Joe Dolan over the days. Mm -hmm. But that young fellow was 16 years of age. He had the, the absolute tenacity and balls to travel mm -hmm. over to Manchester, audition for the X Factor, and look, look what he's achieved since. So I think people, people are very quick, especially my generation, are very quick to laugh at boy bands and people who want to push the needle. But you know what? Those guys are inspiring. And look at the careers now. They're all bloody in the charts now as solo artists. To me, Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho, for me, is a guy that's losing um, the run of himself slightly. I think if I could look at two managers today, I look at... You know, I was reading, a, reading an article last week in the Harvard Business Review... And it was talking about basically how the best, um, you know, basically the best leaders are also the best teachers, are great teachers even. And I, I look at the likes of um, that guy at City, what's his name, Pep Guardiola, you know, on the pitch this year with Raheem Sterling. And look at the impact that's had on him. And another guy I love as well, two guys I love actually, is Maurizio Pochettino. I think he's a great man manager. And I love Sean Dyche. There's something about Sean Dyche that's very endearing. I know he's kind of got that, that rugged accent. But I've heard from sources as well that he's a great man-manager. Um, and I think that's how sport has kind of gone today. It's about, you know, it's not just about coaching. It's not just about being on the pitch, but it's about, um, about having that kind of approachability too and, and people that actually want to play for you. Because they're all, they're, these soccer players, they're all, it's so lucrative now. You can go anywhere you want to make money. But I think the, the good players always want to play for good managers. And those three ones for me would, would come ahead of Mourinho at the minute. Fair enough. Tinder. Um, Tinder is an app that I'm on. If anybody wants to match with me, feel free to do so. Um, yeah, I mean, come here. Look, I say this about online dating apps, right? Um, everybody is on online dating apps now, so everybody can't be weird. Everybody can't be <laughs> off the rails. Um, and it's just another option, right? You know, don't, don't, don't close your doors too much is what I'd say. Fair enough. Cryptos currencies. Uh, I actually don't know that much about cryptocurrencies, but um, obviously Bitcoin is probably one of the most um, preeminent ones in terms of its its awareness among yeah. among consumers and whatnot. Uh, I was actually in a guy stayed with me from Ballincollig this week, and he's actually invested I think over forty thousand euros Jesus in Christ. cryptocurrencies. So um, I think cryptocurrencies is a is a to be continued kind of scenario, to be honest. Okay, that's kind of on par with the Upper Upper East Side type thing. Oh, yeah, I just, you know, invested 40 grand in some uh, Bitcoin, you know, as you do. <laughs> yeah. Pop-ups. Pop-ups. Are you First thing that comes to your head. Pop-ups, uh, sometimes very annoying if they're a pop-up on a website. Um, so, yeah, kind of annoying. Like, it's invasive. A pop-up is something that kind of, like, it, it's a call to distract you rather than a call to interact with you. That's an interesting one. We'll get into that again a little bit later on. You, you, I, I was going to call your glass, uh, glass view company. It, it, would you? I, I, want, I don't want to call it a pop up, but a, a video pop up of of kinds. Um, no, you, you'd kind of be wrong there. So we're more, we're much more. Um, well, we're a video distribution platform. So what we do is we work with large brands to get their video content seen online. Hmm. So we're working with many of the world's top brands. You know, focusing a lot on kind of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, distributing their video content on contextually relevant platforms. So let's say, for instance, someone like Chanel will come to us and they want to be on you know, the latest editorial on Vogue. Um, but the way we're delivering media is much less invasive and it's much more a kind of a call to interact. Um, obviously, there's platforms out there that that isn't the case. There's a lot of incentivized media. Watch this and you can continue to the next level kind of stuff. Uh, but that's not really our, our bread and butter at all. So No, I was um, being totally facetious there. I just wanted to see your response. <laughs> that was all. Communication, Patrick. I mean, communication is, for me, when you're young, 
I think it's one of the most underrated qualities or one of the most underrated attributes you can have. And I think when you get older, um, it's one of the most important ones. I think, you know, if you've got an ability to communicate with people, I think it's 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 the real glue, really, for, for um, you know, creating a kind of a cohesive uh, culture, uh, being, being part of a landscape where people are getting on. I mean, um, I think communication is, you know, I, th- I think it's something that sometimes the education system in Ireland... Um, fails people a small bit you know uh, I remember when I was back in back in school you know learning poems and stuff was great like it's great to develop some memorization capability but um, you know I'd love to even see like stuff where they introduce like we do orals for we do orals for French we do orals for Irish why the hell aren't we doing orals for English yeah. that's the bloody that's the bloody language we speak um, so I don't know mm-hmm. communication so important though turn ons Turn-ons. Uh, turn-ons. Turn on the light and you get light. Turn on the heat and you get heat. <laughs> turn-offs. Uh, turn-offs are bad. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things in life that I've been turned off by. Uh, so what I do is I just spend my time elsewhere and I, you know, don't make the same mistake twice, right? Very good. Childhood hero. Childhood hero is a very, very... Sometimes hard question to answer, but I would say my childhood heroes have been my family. Really, they're the kind of people that have supported me. They're the people that have always been there for me. And you know, quite honestly, you know, you become the product of what what it is that you you become the product of your own network. Um, and I have two very supportive parents, and they're the people that have I think uh, helped me make make me what I am today. Really, fair enough. The Spanish Arch, the Spanish Arch in that beautiful city in Galway. Um, God, Galway, what a place. Um, one of the most endearing and, I would say, culturally enriched cities in Ireland. There's absolutely no doubt about, doubt, doubt about that. Uh, I absolutely love my time there. And you know what? Inuit Galway is, uh, is a place where I really came out of my shell, I think. Good man. Um, you know? Yeah. And then the last one I have is yoga. Yeah, I do some yoga here on the deck. Um, yoga is something I obviously used to, used to play a bit of sport and stuff. And it's something that I regret not getting into sooner. Um, I'm more about action though I like like getting out and playing football and stuff yoga for me sometimes can be a bit like static and, and, and almost a bit sterile um, mm. but I do love it we used to do it actually on our deck at work so we'll be starting that back up now again in the summer um, and we've had some great yoga teachers we just had a, a, a lovely lady um, teach us last year from India and she was like she was really 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 on the ball so we've had some great yoga teachers thankfully <laughs> It's, it seems to me, after talking to you for all those last couple of minutes, that you're hugely into kind of what's in your head more so than what's outside your head. Do you, um, like, how do you tackle with demons when you're feeling kind of negative connotations about yourself? Or you said you go for a run, you potentially use yoga. You know, how important is it to you to work on your head and how do you kind of relieve stress? Absolutely. That's, that's a great question. I think it's something that, uh, like, for instance, my, my job now is... Um, like I'm immersed in technology and um, like it's emails, it's apps, it's ping, ping, ping. So um, it is about developing a mechanism, Dennis, where you kind of get away from that. And I think, you know, having a routine. So like, for instance, getting to the gym, getting out in the park. Um, I think the best decisions are made under calm circumstances. Um, and that always isn't about being impulsive or running in to make rash, uh, I guess, kind of conclusions. Um, 
I like to just get out and I like to kind of clear my head. Um, I do a lot of informal meditation. Like, I actually took up playing the guitar about four months ago. And that's something that I enjoy doing now, even if it's only for 30 minutes a day. Um, and it's also kind of intellectually challenged me as well. Like, I'd never read music before. Um, and there's a big correlation between, you know, even if you look at kids in school, um, you know, if you can if you can learn to read music and even take on musical instrument, instruments like the guitar, uh, it, it kind of breeds into other areas of your life. So... Um, I think it's 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 so important in a kind of a especially in a technology kind of ridden world today, um, to kind of just get away from it and to be present with what you're doing. You know, when I go out, with my friends, I always try and say, guys, let's put away the phone, let's yeah, put yeah, down yeah, the yeah. phones for a while, because you're not just present otherwise. Um, no, but it's, it's interesting to just say that. I think I think something like this is uh, founded at a very early age, and you said during childhood. So you seem, as you said, a very positive person. I'm the same, but a realist at the same time. Um, can you talk about I want to talk a little bit about your childhood and firstly how your parents saw you initially but then even how your teachers saw you like was it going to be kind of a case that Jesus Patrick was either going to be an absolute millionaire or else he was going to go to jail or how did your teachers see that you were going to kind of pan out yeah so I suppose I just just to kind of I suppose inform the listeners like I'm an only child and I think when you're an only child um, you know I didn't really grow up around a lot of children I had a lot of first cousins but I grew up you know, with two people that were managing their own businesses, kind of two entrepreneurs, if you want to call them, or managing directors of their own companies. So, you know, my dad and mom would have been at home talking about um, employee relations, um, whereas probably one of my friends was talking about the next PS4 game. Um, So I think, like, they bought a pub as well, kind of in 95 in my local village. So I was down there a lot. And I remember even, even at a young age, kind of, um, you're just being exposed to kind of people that are much, much older than me. And I suppose you're kind of in the corridor of communication, Lindiness, where you're kind of absorbing information which maybe children your own age don't absorb. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of helped formulate um, some of the communication skills that I had early on in life and maybe some of the ideologies as well. You know, when I was in school, I wouldn't have said I was a troublemaker, but I was always a kind of a hyper child probably. You know, and I didn't always have that, that kind of work rate instilled in me. Um, you know, maybe some stuff didn't always come naturally to me either. Like, I, I never, even though I'm good with figures, I hated maths. Like, algebra now and stuff like that never appealed to me. I never liked learning languages because I said to myself, you know what, I'm, I'm a native English speaker and that happens to be the best language on earth. Mm-hmm. So I better perfect that one. So I'd say my, my, my teachers would have talked like, uh, look, he's an outgoing guy. Um, you know, his parents have a couple of businesses. Yeah, he'll probably fall back into that. But I think it was really when I started, um, I think actually when I went to Galway, I kind of, I was always, I always had massive aspirations, but maybe I didn't put my actions where my aspirations kind of were leading to. Um, but I think it's really when I went to college and kind of focused more on stuff that I was conducive to. I think when that's, that's when the table started turning for me a bit. But um, because it, it could have been very easy for you to just decide that you're going to go to UCC in Cork and kind of go with that route and see, and you know, kind of go home every weekend, and you decided to get out of your comfort zone. Why was that? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of people are comfortable in their comfort zone. I'm wired in a certain way that my DNA says, when I'm in my comfort zone, I actually get uncomfortable. Um, so I always say, your current zone is where you're going to learn. If you're not making mistakes, well, you're not pushing boundaries. And I've made so many mistakes. Um, and I've pushed boundaries, and I've, I've had to pivot elsewhere, and I've had to turn back. Um, but going to a place like Galway was really going to the current zone. You know, I remember going up there with an induction. God, I was like 18, you know, kind of this vulnerable 18-year-old, whatever you want to call me, landing into Galway, um, this, this enormous city compared to the bloody village that I was living in. Um, 
And yeah, you can you can kind of either become overawed by it and absolutely swallowed up by it. Uh, but I met some great people there, and they helped me to help me to even bring me out of my shell more. And uh, you know what? I get a serious kick out of like most people hate being in crowds. I actually love being in crowds. I love meeting new people. I love conversing with new people, and I love meeting different cultures and stuff. So Galway for me actually was kind of my start of traveling the world. Okay. Okay, a, a good start, I suppose. Well, I'm going to be obviously biased because I'm originally from Galway myself, but they call it the the graveyard of a- artistic ambition. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's there's a lot of nuances in Galway that you wouldn't kind of get in other cities. Um, I'm not saying there's like a hippie vibe there, but there is a very kind of creative, artsy vibe. Um, and I suppose if you, even if you look at somewhere like the Spanish Arch or Shop Street, um, I can understand why like loads of tourists flock there because it, there's a lovely. Um, there's a kind of a quaintness about Galway that other cities, in fact, most cities that I've ever been to around the world, actually don't don't kind of have in their DNA. So um, I loved Galway, and do you know what? The people the, the people paint the place right, and the people in Galway, uh, like yourself, Dennis, you, you you guys are great guys. <laughs> You're a gentleman. For me personally, just for my for your tuppence worth, I think for Galway. It's the fact that everyone kind of convenes and goes to the same places. So you might have a multimillionaire in the same place as you know Johnny, who's in drinking pints every day of the week. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no sort of class divide within Galway. We're all kind of bowled into the same area, which means we no one has notions. Everyone's kind of the same level, which is which is a great thing. You know, which is the way the kind of the world should work. But when you go to a place like you know a, a metropolitan city, the likes of London or, or or New York, I'm sure you can see that class divide much more. Would you agree with that? I'd, I'd 100% agree with that. And I think one thing that stuck out to me in Galway when I went there is it, it, because it's so compact, it's a very integrated city. Mm. And I think you spoke very eloquently there about, about what exactly that means. Um, like, for instance, when, you, when you're a young lad uh, going out there at 18 or 19 years of age, you know, if one nightclub isn't working out, sure, there's another nightclub like two feet away. <laughs> um, so that's even something here in New York. Like, New York's one of the best cities in the world, right? And for so many things, but if I'd one, if I'd one thing to say about New York, sometimes it can be quite stiff, you know, because you'll go, you'll go to certain areas where, you know, people maybe might have a bit of an ego, or people might have a bit of, a, um, you know, a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, but I don't think that's the case whatsoever for for the for the majority. Um, but in Galway, it's completely bereft of that. It's like it's one for all. I love it, and it's so compact that you can like go out and Galway. When like going to tin bars in the space of like three hours and have a right good night. And t- tell me, Patrick. I mean, what was your dream growing up? I mean, was it always to go on and do your commerce, specialize in marketing, do your masters? Like, was there a, kind of a a big ultimate dream that you always had? I know you were very sporty at a young age, and you got trials for Sunderland, if I'm correct as well. Um, you also played under twenty one on the Cork team as well, who won the Munster final in two thousand and fourteen. Like, what was the dream for you? Um, yeah, I suppose that's kind of twofold, really. If you look, if you look at the first probably fifteen or sixteen years of my life, um, you know, I had an incredible imagination, and my imagination came very early on because I was exposed to not only so much at home, but I did a lot of travelling with my parents. I was always on the road. We were going over to England. We were going over to continental Europe and stuff like that. For what? So I did for holidays, for matches, for business, for, for everything, really, Dennis. And, and what that gave me was that it created this like reservoir, this insatiable reservoir of imagination. And every time I'd go on a trip, I'd come back in with about a hundred days worth of just thoughts, ideas, inspirations. And so cut to the chase, 
I actually wanted to be a professional soccer player until I was about 15 or 16. And I suppose when I went over to Sunderland that time, it kind of did, like, God, like, this might eventually become a reality. Um, and it didn't become a reality. You know what? I didn't probably put my best foot forward. I was very green going over. I only went over to one club. And I think, you know, it's like going to one job interview. You know, I'd rather go to five. You learn more from that. And I only went into one club. So had I gone back over again to other clubs, maybe, maybe it would have been better for me. But that was inspiring. I remember one day Dwight York approach me and he goes hey you coming out training today and um, so that's pretty cool at 15 or 16 years of old and um, but I guess growing up in an area like obviously doing a commerce degree which is so broad uh, the world of business was inevitably what, what attracted me to what I really wanted to put my muscle into and like I always said I wanted to be a professional at something you know I don't want to be you know half into this or half into that and um, so that that's kind of the life I've in, in, invariably led now for the last I suppose six or seven years since I've been out of school so um, and that's the that's the I mean I said it to you before we went online again that you're a guy who seems to put your you try to anyways your best foot forward and anything that you do you do with absolute conviction and style. So I mean who's this Dennis O'Dwyer fella trying to connect up with you, looking to do a podcast? You didn't just kind of introduce yourself in the best way, you also were able to kind of network me, link me and everything else, and you gave a piece of yourself to that email and gave me great time that another person maybe wouldn't have been able to do. In particular, in a city like New York, when people are kind of running by it, left, right, and center. So, to yourself, I'd appreciate that, and kudos to you. Long may that continue. Let's go back to your college days again in New York, in sorry, in Galway. So, you'd start to do marketing practice there in the Cairns Business School. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, after I did a Bachelor of Commerce, you know, I learned about statistics, I learned about economics, macro, micro. I would have did various different modules that would have really given me. I would say, an incredible foundation for the position I'm in today. But I suppose, like anything, you have to stream in something. And I always wanted to go down the marketing route, I suppose, as a kind of business stream because of a couple of reasons. One, marketing is kind of where sometimes the idea starts. It's where we emote with consumers. It's where we do the branding, do all the creative elements. But there's also a very, I suppose, science, like I know you're a science, uh, the world of science is something you're very familiar with, Dennis. And, you know, psychology human behavior, consumer behavior is something that was always very, if I didn't go down and do a business degree, I probably would have ventured into something like more consumer behavior or maybe a hardcore psychology degree. And one of the reasons I say that is because if you look at the world of marketing today, you know, before we've been using, um, you know, we've been using a lot of, I guess, softer sciences like psychology and, and, and sciences like physiology. And now we're actually starting to actually utilize more hardcore sciences like biology and chemistry um, and that's a different story completely with the kind of technology even our company is uh, developing here now in Glassview. Um, but you kind of get what I mean there, Dennis, is that mm. just there was a side to marketing that, that just appealed to me um, and really understanding about, like, you know, what's actually going to sell, what's scalable. You know, it's not just about having a great idea. It's about executing on that idea. Um, so that gave me a very good foundation. And doing the marketing practice masters in Galway was great for one reason. And I remember a great quote from Mark Twain. He said, don't let schooling come in the way of your education. Very good. And that, that's what that masters did for me. It was, it was a scenario where 45 credits were for academic and 45 credits for full-time work placement. And I must really call out ESB Innovation in Dublin because they gave me a fantastic opportunity to go in there for 16 months. Yeah, talk, talk to us about that, Patrick, because, I mean, you were kind of, you, you nearly led the introduction of the first electric car in Ireland. Is that correct? Um, I wouldn't ever, uh, I, I wouldn't ever say that I, I led the, the ah, introduction of that, but, but I was definitely part of a group, I suppose, that was, that was very, um, 
I suppose, very uh, had a major impact as such on, on rolling out the, the, electrical, the electric vehicle infrastructure all over Ireland. And Ireland, uh, contrary to my background in, in, in the oil and fuel industry, <laughs> Ireland is a country because for two reasons. For, first of all, our climate is very conducive to, to battery life and optimize, optimizing batteries, especially in cars. And second of all, um, you know, we're a small island, so, the, so you know, urban centers don't tend to be that far from each other. So rolling out a, a kind of an expansive network um, was something that was obviously the Irish government had in mind and the ESP executed um, very well, actually. So that was a really interesting. And what was really interesting about the, the whole time of the ESP, Dennis, was, you know, we were in a place where you're in a big corporate wheelhouse, OK? The ESP, thousands of employees, the largest, you know, semi-state multinational company in Ireland, um, but we were in an innovation section, so we were like a 25-person team, and it was almost like a startup within a big entity. Yes. And that, that was really cool for me because we, we kind of got to, I'm not saying be playful, but we kind of got to shape that department. And, and being part of that and being, like, I was a junior member of staff, I was an entry-level member of staff, but the responsibility I got there was incredible. Mm. Even so much so that I'd, I'd exposures to the directors at, at the ESP on a regular basis. And you know what? I'll forever thank them. And I think, you know, it's a bit like your first love. You'll never forget your first job either. And a uh, major shout out to everyone at the ESB. Was it your biggest learning experience? Um, I'm always, I'm always slow to say, was it my biggest learning experience? Because I think, you know, we're continually learning. And I think even today, I'm probably going to do something and make a mistake and learn from that. So I would say it was at a very pivotal time, Dennis. And timing is a big thing. You know, I was, I was 21. Not only did I go into a job where you know, you're going and learning the ropes of a job. I was also learning the, ro the ropes of structure. Hmm. You know, I'd been in college where, yeah, if you want to miss a class, you can kind of miss a class. Or, you know, if you want to go on a holiday for a week, yeah, sure, who's going who's gonna to miss me? Uh, but now I was a full-time workplace. I was, you know, I was a, on payroll. I was PRSI. Yeah. I was a PAYE uh, payer. So, um, you know, that kind of, there was, there was a personal element there as well. You know, I had to kind of like all of a sudden be organized right now. I had more responsibilities. So and did you I take to that? Yeah, I actually really did. I, I took to it because I think college is a college is a fantasy. You know, we go to college to kind of take us to the next level, take us to the next chapter and educate ourselves and equip ourselves with the kind of skills, both tangible and intangible that we need. And um, so I four, three and a half, four great years in Inuit Galway, but I was ready to move on too. Yeah. You know, and I think if you're ambitious, Dennis, just like you are, um, you want to push the needle and you know you can't sit there for 10 years. But what was it that mooted you to do that? Because, I mean, look, a lovely fella from the west of Ireland that could have, or sorry, the west of Cork, that could have walked into a fantastic job within your, your oil. Just give us a bit of background, your parents' business there. Yeah, so my parents formed a company, um, West Cork Oil at the time, back in 1991. And I suppose to cut, cut, cut kind of to today and um, they've acquired a number of businesses since they kind of mainly operate in, in around Munster and um, so they've got a big kind of distribution of or they got a big network of distribution companies we basically distribute oil to you know consumers so there's, there's a B2C element and obviously to businesses and agricultural contractors and even the marine industry so um, yeah I guess my dad and my, my mother both they're, they're kind of like a yin and yang my dad is the one that's continually pushing, you know, he's the innovator, he's the risk taker, he's always looking for growth, growth, growth. And my mother then is kind of like, let's protect what we have. Um, but it, it's a great relationship. And I'd actually in liking that to even the relationship I have with my own boss here at Glasgow because he's a visionary. 
he he sees things on the pavement that 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 I don't see. Um, but then we kind of come together, uh, kind of in a cohesive fashion, and we kind of conceptualize stuff. And sometimes maybe I'll look at maybe you know some of the constructive parts. Um, and I think that's kind of good. It's a healthy balance, right? And that's something that I learned from my parents. And it's probably something that I wanted to look for as well in in the workplace, in the environment that I wanted to be in. And you're asking me, you know, what muted all me, me to want to do this? It's all yeah, down I mean, to the net. Like, were, your, were your parents not looking at you at this stage and you said they were kind of very good leaders and gave you great direction? Were they not like, Patrick, you're, you're way off with the fairies here. Well, like, wait, come back here, you know, play your football. You were at the same time you were goalkeeper for the under-21 team. Is that, that was correct, yeah? Yeah, I was. I was. Um, I guess back in twenty what thirteen, I would have been sub goalkeeper for the Cork under twenty ones. That was you fun. Had a few things on, at play. You could have went back to the west of Cork. You got a great job. You would have probably picked up a lovely filly at the same time, and you would have kind of went off into the sunset and be happy and live a great life. But instead, you decided. You said to push the needle and push the boundaries. Like when was it upon you that you said, "No, no, th- this place isn't big enough for me. I, I need to. I need to leave." Well, I suppose. I've always been incredibly ambitious. And I, look, if you look at a market like Ireland today, right, obviously we're a small island in the European Union. Um, you know, I guess this scope, I, I just saw a scope outside of that. And I think we're living in a world now that's become inherently more flat, more global. Um, and it would have been very disappointing to me, really, if I wasn't part of an entity that was operating in multiple countries worldwide. Um why did I come to the US? The US is one of the fantastic countries in the world today and, you know, the largest economy in the world today because it's a place that's conducive to growth. They're receptive to immigrants. Um, they give people a chance. And I'm in a city here like New York where it's a meritocracy. I really do believe that. And I actually don't believe, and this might sound cynical now to some of our listeners, I don't believe the same level of meritocracy is alive and well in places like Dublin today and even alive and well in places like London today. I think back in Europe, there's more of a hierarchical kind of viewpoint. I think here, even look at the likes of Silicon Valley here in the United States of America, you've all these 21-year-old bloody entrepreneurs setting up billion-dollar companies, which is absolutely fantastic for them. Um, but people believe in people here. You know, it's, it's not about kind of... Do, do you I think get, that Ireland is ageist? I don't think that's exclusively true and I don't think it's exclusively false my honest opinion would be I think in certain circumstances it could be um, I think there's a lot of ageism in the workplace and, and that goes for older people as well there are some fantastic older people now unemployed today in Ireland because companies um, aren't just receptive to taking them on for some reason or, for some reason or other why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. Um, I think that balanced teams should have people from all different generations. You know, I have a number of mentors in my life, people that are people that are my age, people that are 10 years older than me, people that are 50 years older than me. Um, and I think it's healthy for any company to have male, female, all different types of diversity. And one of the elements of, I suppose, formal diversity is age. Um, so if I'm building a team, I want to build, obviously, the best possible team. But I don't know why it is, really, to be honest. Maybe people are th- companies are thinking about the long road. They're thinking about longevity. You know, maybe there's this kind of urban myth that sometimes they feel that people towards the end of their career are less ambitious or less motivated. I think that's absolute trash. Um, some of the most motivated people I know are people that should have, you know, probably were the legal retirement age 10 or 15 years ago. So um, I don't really know. Do you have any opinions on that, Dennis? In terms, I, I, I would totally agree what you say in terms of a hierarchical society. 
So we look at the, the most successful companies in the world are seen as a kind of like a, a multidisciplinary kind of approach, I suppose. It's very paternalistic. It's very kind of, as I said, hierarchical. So the person who's at top, you look up to them and they lead and they delegate and they nearly dictate. But then, as you said, you like, I mean, you're a 25 year old young fella in the upper, upper east side and you're CCO or COO of, of a, a pretty big company. And I mean, you're not kind of um, taken aback by that and you're well able to take it in your stride, but there's plenty of other Irish lads that, are, that aren't the same as that because of the culture that they've kind of grown up in. So if they were to be placed as COO in a company in Ireland, I don't think they'd be able to succeed because the culture just isn't there, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a testament really to the kind of culture um, that I suppose that I'm immersed in here. And, and, and I look up again to... to I suppose, you know, even Jay, my boss, um, he's, he's a new age thinker. He's a visionary, as I mentioned earlier. And he's receptive to if you are good enough, you are old enough. And it's, it's a real meritocracy. And it's not about first in kind of first serve. Oh, you've been here 10 years. We better give you promotion. Um, we're actually very quick. And, and maybe I'm an example of that as well for, from, from Jay's point of view, um, you know, to, to, to give people the kind of platform they need to, to they need to, uh, succeed and there's two ways you can live life you can live life in fear it's not going to work out they are not ready or you can live in faith it is going to work out they are ready they will learn they will build they will grow they will prosper they will equip themselves with the skills and i spoke earlier about donut schooling coming the way of your education i mean experiencing something is a lot better than talking about it you know the theory will never for me outweigh the practical um so come out, like we spoke earlier the other day as well, Dennis, on email. There's a lot of people probably listening to this podcast now and they're looking for ways to improve their lives and they're looking for, and, and, and some of them, you know, to their respect, you know, some people just get into a rut and they, they don't know what to do. But if I would say one thing, you know, action always beats, action and execution will always beat ideas and procrastination. And um, so it's just about getting out there and doing it um, and make, make mistakes, get help, speak to people, communicate. And, um, you know, there's, there's a big stigma in Ireland today around, you know, people not speaking up and people kind of going into, I suppose, um, kind of just getting stuck in a hole. And I've always been a big proponent for if I have a problem, let's talk about it. Yeah. And equally, if someone has a problem that I'm trying to lead or I'm managing or, or that's in my network whatsoever, um, you know, talk to me. Patrick, I listen, I more so read your uh, article that you had there, the, 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 what was it, the Wild Geese Patrick Kirby takes on the New York life and adjusting was a little bit of a difficulty to you at the start. I mean, you obviously said, you, maybe you weren't, but I'm going to say you were green behind the ears when you first came over. You didn't have a job set in place. It could have been very easy for you to just get a very kind of cash in hand job working in construction and stay hanging out with Irish people. But again, you decided to kind of push boundaries. You said, as you said, that was a little bit traumatizing for yourself. Will you kind of enlighten the listeners a little bit about this? Yeah, I will, absolutely, Dina. So I suppose, you're, you know, you're 22 years of age. You've landed out in New York City on, on the last day of 2014. Um, you know, Christmas in its own right and, and New Year's is kind of, for me, sometimes an emotionally kind of charged time of the year anyway for, mm. for various different reasons. I'm sure people can equate with that. But I suppose when I moved out to New York, um, I actually became very homesick. Moving away, even though I'd been in Galway, I'd been in Dublin, Moving over the Atlantic Ocean was, I guess you mentioned there, a kind of a traumatizing experience in, in one sense. Um, and even though I was kind of used to always kind of being out there and being away from home a lot, I did miss home a lot. I, I did miss the kind of cultural, um, 
you know, identity that, that kind of Ireland has. And I missed hanging out with Irish people. I missed kind of being in that network. But um, that's something that kind of, I suppose, I actually looked to, and, and to be fair to Glassview, you know, that my job actually became kind of an escapism for me. You know, and, but you and had that, to find that escape first. You had nothing when you first came over. I had nothing. And what did I do? It was simple. I became a full-time job seeker. So I got up every single morning and I applied for jobs. And I see so many people coming over here today and they focus on networking. They focus on, I know a CEO that knows my uncle that, that used to you know, be related to my sister. And it's like, great, that is fine. But why are you focusing 95% of your time on that? Go down the formal route. What is the formal route? Go online and apply for a job that's actually being advertised today. Um, and, and I think that's one piece of tangible advice I'd give for anyone moving away. Spend 95% of your time being a professional job seeker, first and foremost, but applying for jobs online or offline or whatever, whatever mechanism it is you need to do to actually apply for those jobs. And go to your networking events and you know um, speak to your contacts you know there's a great myth in life Dennis it's not what you know it's who you know mm. and I'm a perfect example for not giving credence whatsoever to that statement I came out here I knew no one I went down the, the farm route of applying for a jobs I didn't know Glassview existed I didn't know any of the board of members I didn't know any of the, the people who were working in the company at that time you know but, but I found my own niche so what I would say is don't limit your options by just networking to the people that you know. Go out there, do the 5% of networking, but spend 95% of your time actually applying for jobs. Um, is that something you would kind of equate with, Dennis? Does that, no, does that kind of make sense? One of those questions I wanted to ask you was, what is your philosophy on networking? And networking is a bit of a buzzword, obviously, at the moment. For myself, personally, it's kind of when you're coming to an alien place you got to just rely on your own intuition to be able to go into a door and once you have that door open back yourself like what you did i mean the only kind of um comparative example that i can give myself was getting a couple of job offers you know 48 hours of arriving in san francisco when i first did my own j j1 it allows you to do so i think more so in the the united states than it does in ireland because we're very very connected it's all he knows his sister there's you know cousin-in-law whatever else but in america it's probably not the same the same case i'd say but one of the things about that is that i think people go in sometimes trying to network it's like okay what can i take from you now um and that's not what we should be doing we should be going networking what can i give to that person what can i give to that group what can i whether it's a philanthropic organization whether it's a local society or whether it's just an individual, like offer them something. You know, it might be simple as a conversation. It might be simple as a, as a connection. Um, but I think a lot of people go in trying to pull out. I think you have to go in and give first and then pull out later. Tell me, Patrick, what, is, what do Glassview do? What do Glassview do? In a nutshell, we distribute video content for large brands on contextually relevant platforms. Um, so I, I mentioned the example earlier before. We work with the likes of Chanel, to get their campaigns live on something like Vogue.com or Harper's Bazaar. Um, so we're exclusively focused on video. Um, and it, it's, it's a massive market at the minute. I mean, as you know, um, you know, more and more ad dollars are probably being taken away from the likes of broadcast television and being taken online. And I think video is one of the most powerful mediums because it kind of not only has the kind of targetability of something like banner advertising, as we know traditionally, but it also has a storytelling component of a TV ad. So it's kind of merging together the best of both worlds and bring that all together online. And, um, 
you know, look, I mean, I talked as well, the power of audio. I think audio is, is in, a, in a time of renaissance at the minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at, look at you, Dennis, doing some great work now with the podcasts. There's something lovely at night when you get into bed. You close your eyes and you're just trying a podcast. It's almost, it's almost like more than informal meditation, meditation that I spoke yeah. about. So, Patrick, we talked about Glassview. I know what are, what are they, but, but who are they? Yeah, so I guess, first of all, we were founded by a guy called James G. Brooks back in, I suppose, the tail end of 2014. And James has an extensive, uh, I guess, career in digital media. He was also working in banking for for a time. Um, And I suppose, where did I come into the equation? I came into the equation in around March 2016, or March 2015, sorry. So it would have been myself, uh, James, and Michael Goffin, who was the actual guy that actually hired me at the time, and he's our MD of account management and Chief Brand Safety Officer. Um, you know, in that time, we've grown exponentially. Our, our you know, revenue has positively grown year on year. Uh, we've got offices now all over the world. You know, we're in Singapore, we're in Tokyo, France, Paris, Chicago, San Francisco. Um, you know, it's crazy, really, Dennis, when you look back in it. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was in college, and ever since, I've been, like, building offices in all these all these nations and, and various different places around the U.S. So it, it's a very... Um, I guess it's it's been a very aspiring platform for me. I've got I've got to meet some incredible people. But one of the greatest things, really, for me inside in Glassview is the interfunctional exposure I've had. So I started out in one position. I'm actually in three years now. This is my fourth different title. Great. Obviously, chief operating officer is is something that I I would have been probably on pat for with the last two years as, as you know something that the CEO would have told me about. Um, so I would. To any young person, especially listening to this podcast today, I would say, you know, when you're young, there was a great, there's a great guy in, in China called Jack Ma. And he said, you know, he's the founder of Alibaba, the, I guess the Amazon, if you want to call it, of, of that part of the world. And he's a very successful guy, right? He said, in your, until you're 20, become a great student. He said, in your 20s, find a great mentor. Find a great follower. You know, don't become an indentured slave at a big corporate entity and just be one little cog of a wheel, sometimes that cog mightn't even matter. And that really resonated with me. And because I've gone into class, you know, I've got exposure to so many wonderful people and got to, got to, I suppose, you know, exhibit and work across various different functions of the business, which has really kind of brought up my overall um, zest for business and knowledge of what it is actually to run a business, to scale a business, to take an idea and actually to execute on that idea. So, you know, my real advice for any young people today is like, go somewhere, don't always chase the big brand or the safe job. Push boundaries, you know, become comfortable with the uncomfortable um, and, and, and work under someone, especially in your 20s, that you want to follow, you know, that you want to follow their lead. Um, because I think that a mentor, mentorship is something I'm very bullish on and I have a number of mentors in my life and I have a lot of mentors in Glassview as well. Um, and, you know, having, having day-to-day mentorship like that is absolutely incredible. And I think it's really helped form, you know, the person I've grown into today. This was a big kind of, I suppose, chance. It was a risk to take. It was a small company at the time. What did you see in Glassview? Was there something that you saw, you say, because you went from ESB, you'd seen kind of the, 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 the big multinationals, the big global companies, and you were going into this small, tiny startup. Was there something that you saw about it that kind of had a bit of a gloss or a sheen? Yeah, I suppose that that kind of I've I've two fold answers. That firstly, there was an incredible people, uh, I guess, assembled on their board, and obviously James and and Michael um, were two industry leaders in their own right. And I suppose had a vision for the company that I bought into. Um, we were a very small company. And there was no guarantees, but I, I said earlier, you can either live in faith or you can live in fear. 
I lived in the faith that we were going to become a large entity, that we were going to become that global superpower, which, you know, let's call a spade a spade, we're still still becoming. Um, but, you know, I mean, like to be, like, for instance, this year, I probably traveled about, or last year, sorry, um, or since I joined the company, I've probably been in about 20 countries with Glassview. You know, and that's something I could have never dreamed about a couple of years ago. So not only have I got into a functional experience, not only have I had, had the mentorship, but I've also got into a geographic experience. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like now to scale a company in Japan. I know what steps we need to take in a place like Singapore. That's, that's very conducive to, to business, especially in, you know, Southeast Asia. Um, and what are the kind of building blocks you put in place? So when you go into a startup, not only are you equipped with process, not only are you equipped with you know, helping scale a business, but you're also equipped with the kind of skills that one day if you wanted to start your own company, one day if you wanted to start your own not-for-profit, but God's sake, if you wanted to organize a birthday party, whatever it is, you know, there's skills that you transfer from the experience, the kind of experiences that I've had, that you can take to multiple different facets of your life. And you talked about networking earlier. You know, James, who's the CEO, as I mentioned, he's a serial networker. I've had the opportunities to meet people like David Cameron, who was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. I've had chances to wine and dine with the likes of Emmanuel Macron. I've been out with various different global CEOs. I remember I was out with one CEO one night, and he talked about how, you know, he had 25,000 people under him. And that was expiring to me. I mean, like 25,000 people in Torles, you know, yeah, that it only half filled the stadium, but it's like, whoa, you actually manage an entity. Yeah. That, that creates employment for 25,000 people, and you're the messiah. You know, you're the figurehead. God, that's inspiring to me. And I get such a kick off of that. And you know what, Tennis? And I'll stop talking on this question now. When you surround yourself with people like that, you actually, you start believing it. You start breathing the same air. You start feeling, you know what, I can do this. You know, and you're with, you become, you become... I guess, a product of the network you, you put yourself in time in. And there's, there's kind of a 33% rule. They say spend 33% of your time with people that you aspire to become. Spend 33% of your time with your peers, your friends, your, your family, whatever it is. And spend 33% of your time helping people. You know, maybe people that are immigrating to the US right now mm-hmm. and that I could give back some love. Maybe people that are actually listening to this podcast right now and they're doing their leaving certs and they're thinking about the steps they need to take even to go on to third level. So... That's a very, very pertinent thing that I always keep close to my chest. And I think I've that 33%, kind of those three kind of compartments, if you want. I wouldn't say down to a T in life, but something that I always try and focus my time on. So it's been very, very inspiring to be exposed to so much. And you know what? I learn as much off I do from a global CEO that might have a portfolio of more brands than you know how to deal with right down to members of my family and even first cousins that visit me here that are only starting out in primary school. So, you know, you learn from everyone and you take something from every experience, right? Absolutely, absolutely, well said. What's your day-to-day role within the company? My day-to-day role is incredibly complex in the sense that a CEO is someone that, you know, you kind of go to school to become a CMO. You go to school to become a CFO. And there's very tangible ways how to do that. Um, but the COO is kind of like, I'm not saying like it's a, it's, it's, it's a non-recognized act, but it kind of is a mixture of everything. And it's about making sure really that you become the chief of productivity, you become the chief of efficiency, you become the chief of execution really. So you're taking yeah. really from a strategic level what it is that the CEO envisions and then you're bringing that down. And basically 
you know, creating the fluid in that seeps across the organisation. Um, you know, so that that's kind of the role. I hope that isn't a fluffy answer. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I suppose I've been growing into the role for a long time, but I've, I'm only in the role quite recently. So, um, With, within the company, is there? I mean, you've signed on all these huge, massive clients, the likes of Hermes, the likes of uh, Ralph Lauren. How do you celebrate those big wins? Yeah, I, I guess really celebrating those big ones is actually retinent of what our culture actually embodies. So, like, every time we get a sales win, there's, like, emails, there's, like, bells ringing, there's music going on. I remember earlier this year, actually, uh, we did work for Sia. You know, Sia, you know, she's got that chandelier yes, song. Yes, 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 I'm going to swing from go. the chandelier. <laughs> that was a horrific rendition of that because her voice is on a, on a level that I could only aspire to and dream of in a different life. Um but, like, I remember one day, like, she tweeted about us, and you can actually go onto her Twitter and see it. And I remember everyone was just, like, jumping up. We were, like, almost like elementary school mm-hmm. kids. Um, you'd swear to God we were after winning a county final, uh, a junior club on the, on, in Carlow after winning a Leinster title in Cork Park or something. <laughs> um, we, we were just going it. crazy. Um, but that's how we kind of celebrate it. And I think that, that celebration is infectious. And I think what it does is that it proves to other people, especially in our revenue-generating departments like our sales team, that I can go out there and close that business. You know what I mean? So it kind of gives everyone... It, 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 it seeps through the whole organisation and it gives everyone a lift. Um, and, you know, look, we're a company that's only been in existence for three and a half years, right? And when you can kind of bring those clients and get them to believe in the kind of product offering that you have, I think that speaks volumes. And not only is it good for the people that we have on board, but it's also very good for talent acquisition. You know, you, I presume you've probably gone onto our website and you've, you've named out some names there. You know, it's a good association as well. So, so I think there's, there's loads of tangible and intangible benefits um, for, for having, having the kind of, you know, just celebrating kind of good days. And I always say, and that, that brings me on to another thing, you know, don't let your emotions fluctuate too high. So don't get too happy in the good days, i.e. don't get carried away with yourself. And equally, in the bad days, don't get carried away with yourself either. You know what? One door closes, another door opens. And that, that's across any walk of life. You were telling me earlier, uh, Dennis, about, about your own career, about the, your own philosophy on life. You know, and we all, get, we all get knockbacks. God almighty, like, I'm subscribing to the fact that I'm probably going to deal with more problems and challenges this week um, than I even might deal with opportunities. But you know what? It's a bit like, you know, when you're even, when you're even working in sales, it's a bit like being, a, being even a professional sports star. You know what? You mightn't win the Champions League every year. You mightn't win that Heineken Cup every year. But, it, but it's that one time that you will win it. And it gives, you the kind of, it kind of gives you the belief to keep on going, even if there's multiple setbacks along the way. So I think business is no different. You know? You're not going to win every day, but it, it, it's, the, it, it's the days you do win fuel the tank for just prosperity and growth in the future. T- tell me, Patrick, what has been your favorite failure to date? My favorite failure to date? That's a very good question. I think my failures have, I don't think there's any one seismic moment, like, God, I went in over a cliff moment. I fail every bloody day. I fail in everything necessary that I do. And I get, I get such a kick out of failure. I remember Winston Churchill said, he said, you know, failure isn't fatal. Success isn't final, but it's the courage to continue. That's what counts. And that's something that I actually keep very close to my chest. So there's probably calls that I've gone on to, from sales point of view, and it hasn't worked out. There might be even people that I've been interviewing that said, God, I don't want to work for this guy. Um, but at the end of the day, 
it, it's a collection of failures. And I, I don't think that I'm actually defined by any one big success as well. I mean, what's an overnight success? There's absolutely no such thing. No. It, it's, it's an accumulation of small steps. And I think you'll have small failures too along the way. And again, going back to the what you said about the process, it's about enjoying the process. It's never the long-term goal. I've decided this year, just to let you in a little thing there, Patrick, that I'm not going to set any, you know... 2018 goals for the year to achieve because I found I was your classic man to kind of write in a sheet of paper okay number one number two and write this big list of what are things I wanted to have to achieve by the end of the year but things aren't static things aren't like that things are very fluid and things change over the the, the length of a year in a particular the world that we live in it's it's so kind of viscous and things can happen at, at, in, at, at any stage at any second so if I was to write this is what I want to have at this, at this stage and all of a sudden I don't have achieved the end of the year it's going to negatively affect me because I don't have it achieved. I can't tick it off. So instead, just kind of live for the moment, enjoy the process, and just rely and back in your own ability. Absolutely. I completely agree with you, Jerry Dennis. And you know what? It's about being remaining flexible, you know, buzzword, uh, but, but being nimble as well. Be, 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 do you know what? There's a guy called AJ Banja. He's the CEO of MasterCard. Um, you know, he's an Indian guy. He's actually living here in, in, in New York. And he's an incredibly inspiring guy. And he said one time, I remember I was listening to him, he said, you know what? If you've got, if you've got good news for me, you can take the stairs. But if you've got bad news for me, take the lift. Um, and it kind of resonated with me. It was, it was kind of a great metaphor for, like, you need to be nimble when you're good, but you need to be incredibly nimble as well in that failure. And I think that's why I've never had a seismic failure. I've never fallen off a cliff because I realized very quickly, um, through self-awareness, especially, and kind of the more emotional side of the brain, mm -hmm. that, hey, Patrick, like, you need to change here. You need to pivot. And I get feedback. Like, my biggest advocates are also my biggest critics. And, like, I've had to swallow a lot of hard feedback over the days. And I would say to anyone, you know, take that feedback on board, you know. Obviously, 100% of feedback might not always be reputable. But I think having someone that can actually be honest with you um, and having a network that people are actually, you know, it's not frivolous, it's not fake, um, it's much more authentic. They're the kind of networks you grow in. And that's the network that I have. And I must pay real respect to the people that have, that have, that have I suppose, been immersed in my network and have created that landscape that I live in today because... You know, you become the product of the topography that you live in. Um, and I can see as well, Dennis, from you, that, you know, you've been in good places. You went to a fantastic college. I know some of your college mates. I know some of your school mates. And, and I can see that you've been... Shout exposed. out to Jack O'Driscoll there. Yeah, massively. Shout out to Jack. Like, Jack's an inspiring guy. And I'll tell you for a number of reasons. Jack grew up on a farm. He went to boarding school when he was 12. I mean, God, I mean, talk about an incredible, incredible balls there to do that. And he's, he's now qualifying to be an accountant. Yeah. He's, he's, he's after buying a site for a house. Like, the man is 25 years of age. So, like, forget, look at me over in New York. There's absolutely fantastic people all over the world, including yourself tonight, Dennis, that are doing incredible stuff. And maybe sometimes, because I'm in New York, it gets a bit highlighted more, or maybe the scope or the, the magnifying glasses comes in on someone like me. But there's people here listening tonight that are also doing fantastic stuff. And no, the, 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 the same to yourself. I mean, there's a lovely little bit of humility about you. And I mean, I've been speaking to Jack and thankfully he connected the two of us. That I hear that like, at Christmas time when you do come home that you are the first man out in the field and helping the, you know, if you even come home in the summers or whatever else, you're there helping with the silage or bringing in the bales of hay. The same jobs that you were doing at the age of 16, but at the same time living in the upper, upper east side. 
I mean, there's a humility in that, and there's a really, really kindness that 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 I hope that I never lose. I hope that you never lose, and 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 kudos to you on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Come here. If you can't have humility, what can you have? I mean, I think being humble is is something that I think like my heart and my head like just breed on on being humble because that's how I'm going to grow. Um, you know, ego is not your amigo, right? Um, so so when I come home, like. It, it's it's refreshing. Like that's my network. That's the people I've grown up with. That's that's the people whom I love. And equally, the people whom I've come to love here in the US as well are very important to me. So um, I don't think they're, they're they have to be mutually exclusive. Now that I'm in New York, that I'm as kind of uh, I don't know generator engineer, this kind of personality that that, that isn't that isn't home to me. Um, I think it's about remaining authentic and being being very sincere, but also being being cutting to the point. You know, I spoke before, and it's it's actually something that my manager told me, and, and I don't want to speak about myself here, but he said, Patrick, you know, you've got a great balance of love and edge. So it's about being loving, being comforting, being empathetic. But it's all it's about having that edge. Guys, we need to get stuff done. You know, New York is New York because it's conducive to high productivity. You know, it's a productivity-stricken city, the city that never sleeps. So we're always thinking, we're always doing, we're always engineering. But as I said to you before our call as well, what beats great ideas Great execution, great action. So that's what I would say to anyone tonight. Stop thinking and start doing. You know, if you're procrastinating tonight in Tullamore or Mullingar or Belfast or Kinnegad or I don't know why I'm naming out all these midland places, but even even <laughs> even Tralee and Kerry, wherever you are tonight, you could be in the Iron Islands. I don't know, you mightn't have any electricity though. Um, <laughs> just 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 do what it is. You know, you want to try out for the county minor team, do it. You want to start up your own business, do it. You want to start going back to church more, go and do it. You know, like make those positive steps and, and, and stop talking about them. So I don't want to come across as being cynical there, Dennis, but... No, 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 not at all. Um, you know, when people come out to me and they go, Patrick, have you any advice for me? I probably feed them with stuff always that they don't want to hear. You know, going to the US is damn hard. I came out with a bloody master's. And what did that mean? It meant nothing. I had to start at the bottom. I had to go into an entry-level position. Um, so you like even coming out to New York, I probably had to take two steps back, but invariably to go three or four or five steps forward. Well, you so. see, it's difficult for people. I think yourself, it was good because you're a very hardworking man, and it's nice seeing you kind of live the high life now and traveling to all these different countries. But they don't see the slog that you put in the first one or two years that you first arrived. So this this kind of instant, uh, the instantaneous gratification. We see end product on the likes of Instagram, etc., etc live in this flush fantastic life and then add that with the the cynicism or the the kind of the begrudgery that it goes on in ireland so i'm sure there's plenty of people that are looking at you today being like who the hell does this fella think he is now like how do you deal with something like that absolutely and i think you know look come here people will always begrudge you i think you know if you're seen to be someone that's pushing the needle like you start up a podcast i'm sure there's people going tonight uh dennis podcast whatever absolutely um but no, that's not that's not the mentality that I've subscribed to whatsoever. So like, if you go on to my Instagram uh, tonight, you'll see the lovely pictures of when I've been traveling and the lovely pictures of whatever. Um, but you know what? That that doesn't represent necessarily what I'm about. Um, it's it's hard. God, like, come here. I have a lot of tough days. A really a lot of tough days. Um, and I've had to deal with a lot of. I suppose I've had to be very emotionally agile. Because you know, sometimes you can get into a rut, and sometimes God, it's like God. This bump is this like. It's just going to like, you know, can I can I keep going? But it's about retracting for a moment and, and perspective. You know, when I moved over to the U.S., we mentioned the word traumatizing earlier. Mm. 
But really, was it traumatising? I mean, traumatising is to be a refugee in a country where your country is deporting you somewhere else because of maybe civil violence, like, like we've seen in places like Syria. It's all relative. Um, so it's all relative at the end of the day. I have my hard days, but you know what? I come back home at night and I talk to people. I, 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 I get on the phone to my parents. I speak to people at work. So we're all in this together. You know, we're the human race. Um, and I think, I think that's, you know, we all have, a, I think, a collective um, responsibility to each other to look after one another. And, and, you know, people can say what they want to say. If people want to, you know, probably listen to this podcast right now going, God, this young fellow from West Cork, like, who does he think he is with his Cork accent and all this kind of stuff? Um, but, look, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to relay honest advice and experience. I mean, you know, I always like to see people that have been there and done it and, like, if people have experienced something, you know. Um, and I have a hell of a long way to go. Dennis, I told you the other day, there are many more unanswered questions in my brain today than there are answered ones. Mm. So I have to remain humble. I have to remain... Like, I've done an MBA back in back in Ireland, and I'm probably going to do another MBA here in the next couple of years, um, just to kind of continually upskill, continually... Yeah. Like, we're living in a life now where people's agent People... First of all, our careers need to be more nimble. There is no such thing as a job for life anymore. Plus, our life expectancy is probably going to be greater than any other generation that's passed. You know, by the time, Dennis, we're 65, the retirement age in Ireland could be 75. So I think the ideology that we're just going to go into formal education in our 20s and kind of leave it at that, I think that's a myth or an ideology that's going to be broken very fast as we move on. So... Like, my, my call to action here is keep upskilling, keep experiencing. And you don't have to go to college to do that. Travel, traveling broads the mind like no other. Speak to people, listen, expose yourself, get access to things. There's something that I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously the utilization of, um, of video is fantastic, but it also has detrimental effects as well. So I don't know if you're familiar with the guy Logan Paul, who was a, a, a YouTuber of sorts who has been essentially eradicated off the YouTube um, archives and, and portfolio platform because of it was his response to the Japanese kind of yeah. say, video log that he created. The, the question that I have for yourselves is, I mean, the cyber world is completely unregulated. For someone like yourselves, like you still are a relatively new kind of company. Something like that could wipe you out in, the, in an instant. Yeah, it really could, and I suppose, first of all, yeah, you're dead right. The, the, the digital world, or the cyber world, if you want to call it, is still a bit archaic. And I think, look, we, we've created this new, you know, technology has, has accelerated, um, I guess, this new ecosystem of opportunities and, 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 I guess, places for us, I suppose, for people like Logan Paul to kind of, I guess, uh, encompass, you know, defects maybe in their own in their own character. I think, to be honest... You know, whether it's cyberbullying or whether it's something like Mr. Logan Paul did, um, that was an incredible lack of judgment on his side. Mm -hmm. I mean, to do what he did, I mean, he really let a lot of people down. And I can't really um, condone that particular instance. I think sometimes people, it's a genuine mistake. But, but what he did was just completely not, like, that isn't a genuine mistake. Um, that was that was continually pushing the boundaries. So I think there's an onus on us as society, and I think there's an onus on governments. I think there's an onus on, you know, players like Amazon, like Facebook, like Google, like Apple, like Samsung, all these big multinational superpowers. And they have an onus to society today to kind of curb and, and construct ways where, you know, cyber attacks or cyber bullying or cyber... Um, I suppose criminality is, is going to be curbed and distinguished over time. And I think it's, it's actually one of the biggest challenges 
facing I would say the world we live in today at, at this point of the uh, the show we do a thing called moments it's actually a new part of the uh, the, the show that we do so I'm going to say a, a certain word and you just tell me you know the first thing that kind of comes to your head and kind of how you dealt with the situation so your scariest moment scariest moment I think was one of my saddest moments actually like when I was in Dublin airport on the 31st of December 2014 leaving my parents and seeing them just unconsolably break down and me so kind sad of joining, and scary yeah really sad and scary so I like come here like I haven't had I would say a lot of like seismic scary moments again um, but that that was a sad one. Like that one will be etched, kind of etched in the etched in the mind for a while. I think. Okay. Your happiest moment? I'm happy every moment of the day. I mean, I don't Good think answer. I think I don't think that like you know a pursuit, like I'm not in the pursuit of happiness. I'm trying to be happy with now. And I said, let's love the game. You know, it's not all about the destination because, like I said about the quote of the extraordinary mind, if you become if you tie your happiness to the attainment of future goals, you will never be happy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to be happy. Come here, Dennis. I'm having a ball here chatting to you. So um, that that is my happiest moment right now, if right you're here. Gentleman. Your strangest moment? My strangest moment? I've had a hell of a lot of strange moments because I've pushed the boundaries with different stuff in my life. Um, I suppose strange moments have probably been like in public where um, maybe I've had to like, you know, I don't know, do do weird things and stuff, but I don't know. I've had I like I keep mentioning this word, but I've had no like flagship uh, uh, moment like that. Um, yeah. I just do a lot of strange things. I think I'm a strange person. I think that all of us are strange. So it's a bit like the happiness question. I'm doing strange stuff every day, and I've probably done strange stuff in the last hour when I've been talking to you as well. Do you use any stimulant to kind of get you past that four or five o'clock lull in the day? Um, I would say. You know what? I, I'm a person. I think the greatest stimulant of all is good, a good night's sleep, um, and I, because I try and try and always get like at least seven hours sleep at night, I think that kind of gives me the energy that I don't need these kind of like drastic kicks throughout the day. But what I do is I kind of like every two hours throughout the day until about four p.m. in the day, I'll have like about four cups of green tea. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's kind of my stimulant. And I eat, I eat, I rest, I work out. I, do you know what? Um, it sound, might sound con- contradictory, but I think actually getting out there and, and, and getting out into like Central Park for a run, that's a stimulant in itself, and it actually gives you more energy then at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I had for the moments section was the most amazing moment. And kind of like a, a follow-on from that was that I, I, was, I wanted to ask you was, did you ever find yourself starstruck with one of the clients that you've met or just in any situation whatsoever which you found was quite amazing yeah look come here I'm continually starstruck and do you know what I'm starstruck by I'm actually not starstruck necessarily by the prime ministers or the 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 global CEOs I'm actually starstruck with the people I work um, there's people in our company young people older people people that have been there and done it people that are starting out and the start of their careers I'm continually starstruck by all of them. I think they're a wonderful group of people and they never cease to amaze me. Um, and I think it's a real testament to the kind of people we brought on board. You know, we have a great culture. And what's culture identified by? You know, Google and Apple will tell you culture is identified by having a swimming pool at work. That's trash to me. What, 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 what culture means to me is actually the decency with, with, with which we treat one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something really that... Like, if anybody talks to me about culture, I just, I, I stop up, I 
pull in the hard shoulder on the motorway and it's just about being decent with your colleagues. And I think if you're decent with them, you'll actually see people rise alongside you. Um, I don't want to get like all philosophical now, but does that make kind of sense to you, Dennis? It does, I'm it sure, does, it does. I'm, I'm sure that you're starstruck by even some of the peers that you have in your life, people you've went to college, even like Jack O'Driscoll, like we spoke about earlier. Literally just after messaging me there. No, I'm starstruck every day. I think, you know, to look at the glass half full is extremely important. Um, and every day, and to be starstruck by the little moments. Because if you become too starstruck from the big moments, then you'll just be completely out of reach of anything, I think. They, they flood you. And like, for instance, I think I, I spoke earlier about not your let your emotions fluctuate too much. And yeah, like, God, a good salesman, let's get carried away for a minute. But like in a bad day, let's not get too carried away as well. So like, for instance, whenever I get a promotion, you know, I'm a kind of a person as well, Dennis. Like, I don't go out there and kind of like, um, you know, broadcast something that, that might happen or, or maybe might happen. I kind of like to be one of those people that, you know, if I get a promotion, hey, guys, I'm here now. I had the promotion. Let, let's, let's go on and do it. So um, I think being starstruck is almost like getting, it's almost getting like, you know, getting caught in the forest, so to speak. It's, it, you get caught in the headlights. So, um, you know, again, I think going back to the emotional intelligence side of the brain, um, it's very important to kind of remain, you know, the good old saying, keep your feet on the ground. Um, and that's something as well that my, my father and my mother have instilled in me in abundance. Um, so, so kudos to them for doing that. You said, I think it was empathy was the word you used. And I'm not really a big fan of the word empathy. I think the buzzword emotional intelligence is, is, is more important today. To be able to understand kind of a situation, to be able to read it and respond accordingly. Instead of kind of empathy feels, it nearly just nearly sounds too much like sympathy, like you feel sorry for the person. But there's going to be stages where we're going to have to make difficult decisions, like I'm sure you have in your life. But I think it's the, to, to be able to have the emotional intelligence to do so. Would you agree with e- that? Exactly. I think that we're, we're living in a society and have lived in a society for a long time where it's, it's predicated on IQ. What can we remember? What can we learn? Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's sit down now and have a test. Okay, let's, let's write down on paper, you know, what we know. And I think that, that, that's a flawed methodology, really. Because yeah. I, I think what emotional intelligence does, it, you know, it does bring in stuff like empathy. And I think as a business leader, or as a leader of, you know, you're organizing a, a night out in a brewery, you know, you must, like, it's very easy for me now to say, all right, come in, do the job. Okay, you don't work out, let's get rid of you. Like, you must train people. You must, you must equip people with the kind of skills. There's a big word today in, in the world of business, and they talk about empowerment. And people go, oh, empowerment. Oh, let's empower you now. You empower people by giving them the skills, by, by giving them resources. It's not just by saying, I empower you. You must actually back it up with real actions. And I think the greatest leaders are also the greatest teachers. We become too immersed in formal reviews. Okay, we will formally speak about this on a certain time. That's not the way I work. I, I'm much more informal. I see someone make a mistake, and let's acknowledge that mistake in real time. You know, it's fresh in your head. Let's build from it. So there's an element of, I think, very early on, you know, you are a bit micro with someone. You know, you are, you know, when you're bringing someone onto your team, you know, you do show them the ropes. But then over time, you empower them on a more macro level where, you know, it's not as hands-on. You're letting them bring their own ideas to the table. But I think, like, if you look at stuff like decision-making, if you look at stuff like 
calmness. If you look at stuff like being emotionally agile, that's all from the EQ side of the brain, which I actually think constitutes about 80 to 90% of what's going to make you successful or not. Mm-hmm. So if you've got 600 points and you're leaving start tonight, or 625, or 754, I don't know what, what the system is now. Um, <laughs> like, you know, don't get carried away with yourself. And equally, if you never did your leaving start, don't get carried away with yourself. Because you know what? It doesn't matter. Now, with the way society is constructed today, doing your leaving cert and going down the formal route of education is maybe the more straight line approach. But a lot of people meander. And you know what? There's bumps along the road for everyone. So my call to action here would be for people, um, pay homage to the emotional side of the brain. I think that's invariably what's going to make you make you succeed. It's all about attitude. It's not about talent. Talent counts for very little. Remember, we all can make great ideas, but it's the execution that counts. And I think having the humility and having the work fit and having the endeavor to actually do that is the most important thing for me. Um, so, like, you know, I think people are fixated sometimes with the wrong thing. Come here, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm learning this stuff too as I go along. But, but is that something that resonates with you there, Dennis? Do you think no, absolutely. that's... No, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding along here just letting you... Everything that you're saying has made the total sense. But unfortunately, Patrick, we're actually coming to a close to this fantastic little chat that we've had. Um, but there's a couple of kind of future questions that I have to ask. Like, where are you going and where is Glassview going? So I suppose I'll, I'll answer the Glassview question first. Um, Glassview is a company that is growing from strength to strength. I think we've got a great people on board now. So this year, um, you know, we've got very aggressive targets, you know, with bringing on talent on board, uh, new markets we're going to be up now. Much of my work now in the coming weeks is actually going to be penetrating the Indian market, penetrating the Chinese market, and even going down to Brazil as well, down to Sao Paulo. So myself, the chief executive, and probably more other members of the team as well, we'll be doing a lot of traveling. So really, the main thing for a class with us, really, is we're, we're in an industry at the minute that is still quite infant. And how, how are we going to deal with that? So what we want to do is really scale now quick while we can. And when more players come into the market, then maybe more saturation hits, you know, we'll be, we'll be hopeful be a dominant player by that time but you know what there's a great saying as well innovator die Glassview is a company that's continually pushing the needle with R&D and with innovation we're the first company globally to be delivering ads on Apple watches driverless cars in Silicon Valley and even smart home appliances like fridges washing machines and even dishwashers we're also the first company worldwide uh, to be actually optimizing campaigns based on emotional receptivity we're mm. the, we, we actually developed um a product with a Goldman Sachs alumni, which is high-speed trading, which kind of brings like Wall Street algorithms to ad buying. We were the first company to actually integrate in the technology with Snapchat. So we've kind of been on the cusp of innovation for the last number of years. And I think that's going to be very much in a remit in the next couple of years. And, and the incredible people we've on board have, have, I would say, become pioneers at doing that already. And I can't wait to see the great ideas and the great engineering that Glassy is going to bring to the marketplace in the coming weeks, months, even years. Uh, where does Patrick Curry want to be in five years um, I'll make no bones about it like I, I, I want to be the CEO of Glassview um, I want to be the CEO of a large entity that is growing that is creating employment you know for me it's all about the people I said earlier people paint the place and I think one of the greatest things commerce and business has done is the sheer amount of employment it's created and I'd love to be hopefully a figurehead in a company that could create thousands if not tens of thousands of jobs for people in Ireland, for people in India, for people all over the world. And let's let's bring a diverse group together. Um, I'd love to ask you, Dennis, actually, you're peppering <laughs> me with questions. Where do you want to be in five years? 
As I said, I haven't met any goals or aspirations or desires for this year. Um, I always find it really, really interesting is, is, is the fact that the kind of the type A personalities that myself and you have, um, we're kind of really good planners for the first kind of year. But if you, look, if you ask us a question five or ten years down the road, I have no bloody idea. <laughs> I have no plan. I really am. I, 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 it was actually a previous podcast that I had. I'm plugging this episode, really, but it was with the priest that I did about the Catholic Church. And he asked me, you know, will you go to heaven, Dennis? And I said, I'm living in heaven. The, the, the world and the life that I live in at the moment is my heaven. I absolutely enjoy and, and, and everything about the world, meeting new people, meeting you, uh, having these conversations and learning and living. Um, that's not answering the question that you've asked me, but essentially, I don't really have a five or ten year plan. I'm going to play it by ear. I am. Um, someone in my house here laughed at me recently because one of one of the lads are from Ireland. And I, I, one of the first questions I asked him was, "Come here, so tell me what's your five year plan." And he was <laughs> laughing inside in the background. He said, "It's so quintessential a question you would ask." But he actually said a very pertinent thing to me the next day. He said, "People that talk about themselves." are people that actually haven't themselves figured out. He said people that actually ask questions about other people are those that have. So I know I probably asked you a lot of questions. I actually get uncomfortable almost by not getting asked questions, but I get uncomfortable by being expressive um, about, about my own experiences because you know what? I'm not doing anything better than anyone else. We're all actually doing incredible stuff. And we're all, we're all on our separate journeys. So... But it's the acknowledgement of that, Patrick, that's important, and you've been able to do that. So fair play to yourself. I think we're going to leave it here for, for, for today, folks. Listen, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to talk to, to this guy, Patrick Kirby. Patrick, can, can you leave us with a, a word, a phrase, a sentence? How would you like to be remembered from this? What's your epitaph? Yeah, I suppose. How would I like to be remembered from this? Um, that, that's, that's a kind of an awkward question. I would say, hopefully... If it's only one thing I've said, if it's only two things I've said, hopefully people can take something tangible from the conversation. You know, God, Patrick said, I'm a supply for loads of jobs. He might be right. He might be right. Patrick said, you know what? It's If if, if I haven't got 600 points in my living, that doesn't define my success. Patrick always said, you know what? You you can achieve anything you want to become. Um, and it's all about work, right? It's about endeavor. Like, I work my absolute ass off. It's, that's the recipe. That is the recipe. There is no secret recipe. I work and I put in the hours. And you know what? When you put in the hours, you invariably get the reward. And people make their own look. You know what? There's no victims in life, uh, Dennis. No. There's no victims. You know, we, 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 all, we all achieve probably what we should achieve. There you have it, folks. Hard work, dedication, commitment allows you to be a COO of the Upper East Side. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to talk to me today on the Dodcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, as I said already. You too, Dennis, and all the best with the Dodcast. It's, uh, it's a great thing you've going there. And I'm, I, do you know what? I'm excited to hear all the guests you're going to be having in the next couple of weeks and months. Thank you very much. Folks, as I always say, listen, you know the plan at this stage. I mean, give me a little subscribe on iTunes. It'd be fantastic. You, can, you, can, you know that the... Obviously, the metrics behind it, it'd be great if you could do a little review, press the subscribe button, it brings us up that list. We are gradually starting to get up there now, so it's great. I mean, obviously, we're, this is the 15th episode now, so it's been great. And I do this for you guys. Um, so, again, reach out to me. Let me know if you're enjoying these episodes or if there's anything that you'd like to, to hear. 
I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode with the with with the, the, the famous Patrick Kirby, and this won't be the last that we'll hear that name. I feel as well. So listen, a goodbye to yourself, Patrick, and uh, and, and safe travels and safe everything. It's been it's been it's been fantastic. Thanks so much, Dennis. And if anybody wants to connect with me directly, if anyone wants to reach out to me, and um, you know, I love that's kind of how I give back. You know, just relaying some of the experience I've had. So uh, I would say to your to your listeners, don't hesitate to reach out to me, or if people want to reach out to you, Dennis, to get to me or whatever. Uh, I'm always here to kind of yield any questions. All right. That was the dogcast, guys. See you again.